0: This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be. Come on! Never. In Jesus' name, amen. Now your best shout ever. Oh, yeah.
1: Thank you. All right, so we're reading in Genesis 4, um, verses 1 through 16 um, in the NLT. Now Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, With the Lord's help I produced a man. Later she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. One day, Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out to the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's guardian? But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. Cain replied to the Lord, my punishment is too great for me to bear. You have banished me from the land and from your presence. You have made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. The Lord replied, No, for I will give a sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. So Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you for being here today. Uh, I want to share something with you. I was praying Monday just about the direction to go today, and what I could say that would help you. It'll be a little different if you're visiting. It's not really so much a sermon. It's just life advice of of something that's happened in my life that I pray will help you. And the phrase that I heard go off as I was praying for us was this, he healed my heart. And specifically, look at that handsome fella, man. It's amazing what Photoshop will do, right? I took about 40 pounds off my forehead. Uh... My forehead is huge. Oh, Jesus, help me. But, I, but I, I wanted to share some advice with you because I felt like that your heart may be hurt, and I want to help you get better. Uh, the thing that I know, here's the thought for today. So this was the thought. In every failure, pain, hurt, or disappointment... Hang on a minute. I know where I'm going, so it makes me tear up, so I'm sorry. Resides the potential for your best life. In every pain, failure, hurt, and disappointment, and I would almost say it's fair that everybody in the room falls in something of that. You've had a failure, a moral failure, ethical failure, a life failure. You've made a stupid choice. You regret. You've done something you're ashamed of. I'm sure there are plenty of people in the room that have felt pain, physical pain, emotional pain, the loss of a loved one. Hurt. You've experienced divorce. Friends have hurt you. Pastors have hurt you. People have hurt you disappointment the reality that welcome to life it doesn't always go well uh, excuse the english sometimes life sucks and it's not fun but i would say all of us have probably been there and we if we're not careful we get stuck there the pain becomes your scar that becomes your excuse that the hurt keeps you stuck Because you tell yourself, I'll never be hurt that way again. I won't ever let anybody get that deep into my soul that can crush me like that. So you have walls up. You you have fears. You have anxieties. Because failure, pain, hurt, and disappointment, they do something weird to us humans. They cause us to have the flight or fight response where we... Build all these mechanisms for our best safety. When I say the potential for your best life, you'll tell yourself my best life is a life filled with walls, addictions, excuses. I can't be who I want. I'm I'm living my not my best life. I mean, it is my best life because I've lied to myself to say it is what it is. It'll never be better than this, so I'll just make the best of it. Why? Because it is what it is. I married the wrong person. It just is what it is. My husband left me for another woman. It just is what it is. Uh, I'm addicted to porn. It just is what it is. I've tried to quit. I can't. I'm addicted to whatever pain pill or whatever, you know, thing we choose to ease the tension of the pain and the hurt. It's different for all of us, and, and I'm no different. I'm not acting like I wouldn't cho- have my my choices to help me deal with the hurts and the pains. I've hurt myself. I've been hurt by others. I've disappointed myself. If I look back at my life, there are things that I look back and go, I wish I would have never done that. But I can't change it. I can't go back. And if I'm not careful, I get stuck there in the regret. I wish I wouldn't have done A, but I did it, so therefore it is what it is. Suck it up, move on, and try try to make the best of your mess. I've been hurt by other people. I try to act like I'm not hurt by people. Because I try to pull my big boy pants on and go, I'll, I'll be the man. I'm going to suck it up and just, I'm okay. And, and I taught myself that phrase, I'm okay, was my mechanism of dealing with hurt. Because I would say I was okay, but I would never deal with it. I would just go, I'm okay. Because I really didn't want to whine to people. Because whining from my, this sounds really chauvinistic, but whining from a man to me didn't feel optional. You suck it up. You press through. Are you okay? Oh, I'm okay. But, but when, when I was alone, I didn't feel okay. I felt hurt. I felt abandoned. And then pornography kicks in, or alcohol kicks in, or whatever addiction kicks in. Mine was pouting. Pouting kicks in. My grandfather was an alcoholic, so I'm not opposed to having alcohol. But I know my personality has a very addictive behavior. And if I'm not careful, in times where I'm hurt, I could easily run to the bottle. Because there's something about about three drinks in, you really don't care if you're hurt anymore. I mean, honestly, you're not drunk because you're a Christian but you're buzzing enough that the pain is gone. The hurt is gone. The disappointment. And sometimes disappointment is worse because it's where you hurt other people and you didn't mean to, but you did. Your personality hurt them. I laugh at myself because I don't play video games, right? And the reason I don't play video games is I'm smart enough to know my I have an addictive personality. Those of you that follow me on Instagram know I'm addicted to guitars and I like it. (laughs) I felt like that's just my best addiction, right? Like, I'll get to heaven and God will be like, why didn't you bring me a guitar? Okay. But my personality is when I do something, I'm all in. And so in my young years, when video games came out, I was all in
1: hours
0: of wasted life. So I have to be smart and if I'm not smart, my failures and pains can rob me of what God wants for me. And so in praying about, okay God, I don't mind sharing my story. I'm going to share a little bit of it with you. I don't mind, but you know, give me something from the Bible that would explain what I'm talking about and then I'll kind of share my about and Hopefully, it'll make sense to you. about. The scripture that Raina read in Genesis 4 about Cain and Abel bears what I mean by in every failure and pain. Because if we track one chapter back, here's what we know. Adam and Eve were created by God, and she had a major failure. She blew it. She ate a piece of fruit but then didn't blow it for herself. She blew it for the one she loved most. Because her willingness to disobey caused her to hurt someone she loved dearly because the Bible says, and she, Eve, gave it to him. It wasn't the devil that tempted Adam. It was his own wife. I don't think she did it in a bad way, but her choice was going to bring him such pain. Maybe he ate because he felt guilty. Maybe he ate because he really loved her. We don't know. We just know she took it and bit it, and nothing changed in life. God didn't show up mad. They weren't naked. So her bite that she took in the chapter prior, her bite she took really didn't change much except to expose that there was something in her that because she didn't deal with it was going to cause great hurt for a lot of people. And oftentimes you'll tell yourself, as long as I can manage my own pain and hurt, it really doesn't bother other people. The lie is it destroys people. Because if your disappointment and hurt and pain rob you of helping others, rob you of being who God wants you to be, rob you of His potential, then you, by nature of being hurt, are stopping the hope and help that other people could receive through you because you're so damaged But you tell yourself that's okay because you're not really hurting anybody. The porn is not really hurting anybody, and I'm not that addicted anyway. I mean, it's just kind of soft. I'm really not hurting anybody. I mean, I'm not kind of a closet drinker. I just fall asleep on the lounge chair. I really don't. I'm not a drunk drunk. I mean, I do drink every day, but I'm not drunk drunk. I'm not scathing drunk. I can still work my job. But you're hurting the, the, the excuses you give yourself are creating a longevity of pain for other people. And take Eve, who now gives to her husband. And the moment she gives to the husband, something shifts in the atmosphere because her brokenness was going to stir a world of other problems. So God shows up and says, what in the world have you done? And like only true disappointment and hurt can be, the man that she loves the most sells her out. The man that God gave her, the man that is, there's no other man for her to marry. It's not like she goes, I don't like you. I think I'll take him. This is it. They are sold flesh of flesh and bone of bone. He sells her out. What have you done? Her. So you know how deep that pain has to hurt when you know you had the problem, but then somebody blames it on you. And someone else cuts you. I, I think um, Cheryl Crow sings it, the first cut is the deepest. I wonder how she felt when her husband sliced her open on her worst day. No, he didn't hug her, caress her. It's okay, honey. You blew it, but I love you anyway it's all right, we all have failures. No, not this man, not Daddy One, not Adam. No, this man in a crisis pulls out the knife and slits her throat in front of God. It's her fault. So I I dare to say that when you've been hurt by somebody you love, it's probably the deepest cut. When a husband hurts you, a wife hurts you, a child hurts you, a lover hurts you, it is a deep deep wound. We think we get over them but we rarely do. Most of us can probably remember your first hurt from a love. That first rejection, that first breakup, that it hurts. But it gets worse. Don't you love the Bible how the Bible just gets progressively worse? Because she turns around and says, uh uh, what we all do is when we're religious. It was the devil that made me do it. He is the devil's fault. Christians love that. Because if I can push it off on the devil, I never have to own up it's really me. And so this religious this religious thing that it's the devil's fault, it, it doesn't fare well with God. But we like it. The devil made me do it. Because it kind of takes responsibility off you changing. It kind of blames it on something that's even unseen. It's this force out there of evil. And I'm not saying it doesn't. Sometimes I guess the devil could stir the pot. And so we've got this mess of of a hurt failed, of the woman failed... She's gotten cut by the man. And now I'm sure the hurt is just unbearable. Because here's how worse it gets. <smack> boot, you're out of your house now. You have nowhere to live. So now imagine you've, on your worst failure, your husband slits your throat in blame. You try to blame the devil and God goes, bless both your hearts, get out of my house done with you. You're not living here anymore. And now it gets worse. Because there's one thing about disappointment and failure, if you don't deal with it, it just continually gets worse and worse. It's a downward spiral of misery. So they go in the bedroom, this chapter starts out, they had sex. And out comes Cain. And she's got this beautiful kid now Maybe life's a little better. Maybe she's putting her hurt on her kid. Maybe now her kid is her salvation. All of her energy is in her child. Her hope is again alive. I've got a child. And now I kind of live vicariously through. Look at the joy of this little bundle of joy. It's it's healed my heart. So we, we would have to say she's probably getting healed by putting all of her hope in this thing called a baby. Because that's what hurt people do. We find the thing that staves off the memory of the pain and we try to invest in it. We buy stuff. We buy boats. We buy guns. We buy houses. We travel. We get into sports, we, we, we say it this way, I just, if I can stay busy, I don't even think about it. If I just keep myself busy, I mow the grass, I paint the house, I just keep, I spend, I just spend. It. But if I can do that, if I can keep myself busy, but you can't do that because there's this weird thing called the Sabbath rest where even God himself had to rest, but you will wear yourself out. So I'm sure she kind of wears herself out with baby one trying to stave off the memories of, well, that's where we used to live. Mama, what's that place over there? Yeah, that used to be where we lived. What happened? Well, your daddy threw me under the bus. (laughs) I don't know what kind of conversation they had, but I'm sure Cain said, what's that place with that big angel in front of it? Well, that's where we used to live. You mean we live there? And now we're in a tent? What happened? Well, I'll tell you what happened. Your mama. <laughs> Don't you know that's how that went down? Because kids are inquisitive. So she does what any mother would do that's extry- trying to explain to Cain all the questions. And now the kid's exposing her hurt. She has another one. Because that's what we do. We do more of the thing that brings us hope, hoping it will go away. So she has Abel, and now she's busy with this kid to shut that kid up, and everything's kind of going good now. I mean, there is the memory of my failure because there's the angel, and, there's the, and then there's the tent, and then there's, there's a reminder. There's the man that stabbed me in the back. and Oh, but here's my two beautiful children. And in chapter 4, no, I don't know how it's going to end. Because the inquisitive son is going to kill the joy of your life, Abel. Murders him in the field. Literally kills the kid. And then to make it just... To start the Bible as worse as the Bible could be. Because that's how God will do it. He's moving towards something. But he's got to get through the junk. God, loving father... How could you give me a kid knowing my kid is going to die? How dare you? You know all things and you gave me a kid and then let me have the audacity to have a second kid knowing my first kid. Why did you do this to me? Do you have something against me? You're God. Why couldn't you stop it? Why couldn't you keep Cain from killing my boy? Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you give me a sign? Where were you when I needed you? And now what's happening is what many humans do. We shift everything away from people, problems, hurt, others, and we push it all to the big dude in the sky. Because that is the quintessential problem, is him. Because he could do something about it, and he didn't. He could have healed me, but he didn't. He could have let me stay in the house, but he kicked me out. He could have told me not to have a second kid because he was going to get killed, but he didn't. He rejected me. He abandoned me because he's a jerk, because he's probably not even there. And so then I become agnostic. I become bitter. God's the problem. It's the problem of all this garbage going on planet Earth. And then to make matters worse, God even lets her know he's the problem. Because he looks at her only kid and says, "Uh, Yo, get. You're going to be a hopeless wanderer your whole life. You cannot be in my presence. And God kicks the remaining hope of Eve's life out of the picture. So now you've blamed the devil. Your husband's done you dirty. You had a kid that killed your other kid, and then God, to help you, kicks your remaining kid out. You can't even visit anymore. You don't even get visitation rights. He's gone. You're a hopeless loser of a woman. And God made it all happen because God created you. God gave you the man that stabbed you. God gave you the kid that killed your other kid, and God kicked that kid out, and God made the devil that tempted you. It's his blooming fault. That's a great place to end, because that's where most of this ends up, blaming God, blaming the devil. Here's how the pain looks to all of us. It's my fault. Oh, wait, no, it's your fault. I mean, it is the devil's fault. Well, it's really their fault. Well, no, it's God's fault. I would say all of us in the room, me included, have felt yourself in one of these five. Because that's how the pain works. And we do our best to stay away from number one. Because number one is just too painful. It's really my fault. The reason your marriage is sorry is you. It's not your wife, it's you. The reason you cannot find any friends is not them, it's you. Because number one is just too hard. Number one makes me look at me. Number one makes me go deep inside, introspective, and look in the mirror and begin to ask, what are the things going on inside of me? that are going to rob my children and my grandchildren, that are going to rob my marriage. What are the thoughts? What are the processes? What are the perceptions going on in my mind? Long before I eat the fruit, there's this mess in my mind, this messing with me personally that's going to destroy everything I love because all of it starts in the mind. Every fault starts in the mind. Before the guy killed somebody, it was a thought in his mind. Before the man left the wife, it was a thought in the mind. Before they committed adultery, it was the thought in the mind. Before you took the first sip, before you got addicted to porn, the thought was planted in your brain. So the reality of every fault is here. But I sure do love blaming everybody else. I love it. so much fun. So much fun that it's somebody else's problem. So now let's shift gears to Mark. I don't like preaching about myself, but when I prayed, I felt like the Lord said, "I want you to tell him I've healed your heart and how I did it." Because God healed my heart. Because uh, two thousand. I mean, those of you that've been here know my story but it still hurts to tell it because I have to dig up the pain and the hurt and the disappointment. I got to dig it back up so I can put it out there so that my, my scar of my pain maybe can help people. So forgive me if I tear up because I don't really like it, but I do know that I would rather take the pain and the scar and tell you how it happened and how I got here So it might my scar might give you some hope. So, you know, usually second service, if you don't like my crying, come second service because I've usually cried it out first service. So if you like a crying man, come to this service because usually I'm just a mess. By the second service, I'm like, yeah, man, I'm a terrible human. I've already cried. Let's move on, right? (laughs) I've already worked those emotions out. (laughs) So I'll be quick and then tell you because I want to tell you how I found healing um, it was 2010. I started having thoughts that just weren't good. I started thinking, I was pastoring two churches. I was, I guess, yeah, I was successful in the world. I pastored two fairly large churches. Robin and I have a happy marriage. We have four daughters. Life's good. I got enough money that I can go to Walmart and not have to worry about bouncing a check. Come on, somebody. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um, I just started having. Thoughts. And the thoughts kind of started this way. You don't really make any difference in people's lives. You're wasting your life. Nobody really cares about your preaching. Because I was obsessed to help people. I had this personality I wanted to help. I wanted the altars filled. I wanted God touching people. And I started believing this thought that I really didn't matter to people. And then that thought went into you really don't even matter to your wife. She feels stuck with you. Your personality and hers are like oil and water. You irritate her. You know you irritate her. She even tells you you do. You don't pick your stuff up. You're a pouty man. Um, she could have done better than you. And so those thoughts just kind of roll around, and then that kind of went toward where if you don't catch a thought and you dwell on it long enough, they just keep going downhill. And so then that went to, you're not a good pastor. That went to I got several friends that I felt like hurt me, but I never said anything because I'm too good of a man to say it hurt me. But it hurt me. But I was I was just like I'm going to take the high road. I don't care. I did care, but I just acted like I didn't. But that pain hurt. So I got some disappointment from friends. I've got thoughts. My wife probably doesn't love me. She could have done better. Um, you're not a good preacher. You really don't like this. You're not called to this. And it just began to spiral down a dark hole. And this is about a three month period of time. That dark hole, because I would preach at one church, I would end the service, get in a car, drive to the second church because they started later. And on my way driving, they're doing music. I would pull in the door, get out, walk up on stage, and preach. So that was my life. My life was preach at the first church, end the service. Robin would come up, end. I would get in a car, drive to another town like Bremen. I'd walk in the door. It's time for me to preach. I would preach, and, and success. I mean, people filling up, people at the altars, lives being changed. But there was about a 25-minute drive, about from Douglasville to Bremen, every Sunday. That 25-minute drive was a hellhole because it was nobody cares about you. Nobody likes you. You're not a good pastor. You're a failure. Your wife, and then the thoughts begin to go darker. You could kill yourself, nobody would even care. You'd free your wife up if you killed yourself. You know, I mean, they would have a funeral, but in the end, it would just, you know, what's it really going to matter anyway? I mean, I frustrate her. I mean, my kids, I hope, would miss me, but... And then I would have thoughts. I would see a car or a truck coming, and, and I would have the thought, just jump in front of it. It'll be over quickly. I had a gun, but I thought, well, I don't want to keep my gun around because I'm having these kind of thoughts. I don't want to do something stupid. (laughs) Right? I mean, you you might. You might do something stupid, but once you pull the trigger, you don't get a chance to regret it. It's just over. Well, in that, a a girl on Facebook finds out that I'm preaching in Alabama. And when I say long-term friend, I knew her in the second and third grade. So she lived behind us in the town I lived in. And so we were friends, second, third, and fourth grade. We were friends because we lived in the same, her house butted to mine, and all us kids played together. That's when you could play outside. So she found out I was preaching in our hometown in Alabama. So she messaged me on Facebook. And so we struck up an old friendship. Like, how are you? How's your brother? How's your mom? How's your brother? How's your mom? Oh, mine's great. Why don't... uh, why don't you and your husband come and we'll meet at the church and we'll all go out for pizza. She goes, great, we'll drive over. When you preach, we'll all go out. I said, great. So when I got to Alabama, she had given me her phone number and said, just call us when you get there. We'll drive over that night. I said, all right. So I called her on Wednesday and said, hey, uh, you know, uh, we're here. We're all going out for pizza. You and your husband come and we'll all go out, hang out. She great. And then in that Four-minute conversation was about a 12-minute conversation of how's your mother, how's your brother, how's your mother and brother, how's your sisters, how's your family, great, great, great. That was the end of the conversation. And when I hung up, I had this weird feeling. I don't know what the weird feeling was other than when I hung up the phone, I literally said, that felt weird. But I just ignored it because I'm still having all those thoughts kill yourself nobody loves you so the next day i get a text on my phone it says how's my old new best friend doing i was like old new best friend good because that's how men talk good (laughs) it was so nice to reconnect with you after what 30 something years yes you too OPS, we can't come tonight. My husband got called into work. Fine, no problem. Next day, how's my old new best friend doing? Good. Would you pray for me? My husband, my children are in college, and I just want you to pray for them. Sure, of course. Count it done. That's usually how I answer. Count it done. And I prayed. Next day, oh my God, what you prayed happened. Well, of course it would happen. He's God. But what the devil's doing is seeding into me there's somebody out there that really thinks God's using you. Because at home, I'm telling myself nobody cares. I frustrate my wife. And then on this side, I've got, oh my God, he's answering your prayers. Would you pray another prayer and another prayer? Well, how many of you know it doesn't take long before the lie on this side becomes the truth on this side? Come on. I'm not trying to act like I'm an old godly man here. This started becoming more real. She likes me. She thinks God uses me. And then once you go there... Here comes all the barrage of other thoughts. She probably would love you. Right? Well, the end result is, that was October of 2010. So 42 days later, on December 31st, I'm in a hotel room with a stranger, her. And I'll just let your mind go. It's just ugly. But I woke up the next day with... What the hell have I done? I guess in that moment, my eyes were opened like Adam because I was under such a lie that the lie felt real. The lie over here felt real, but it wasn't real. (laughs) My wife adored me. I guess the people of the church liked me too. But this felt real, real. And so I thought, well, I guess she does love me. And so on a one-night stand, I woke up January 1st, 2011 with, what the hell have I done? I wish I had a more godly thought than that. But I sat there in that room, and I said to her, I said, "Um, it's over. I can never see you again. I can never talk with you again. And she started crying and said, I know, I'm sorry. I said, nope, nope. It's my fault. I got to go. I got up. that was in Alabama. I drove down I-20. And coming down I-20, it's amazing how the devil will pal up with you. You pastor two churches. You've screwed up. You're an idiot. You're a loser. But Mark, we can cover this. You don't have to tell a soul. You're a good man. You're a Christian man. You're spirit filled. Oh, devil's just patting me now. Most mighty man of God I've ever met. You know you would never do that again, right? So just keep it quiet and let's just move through life. It'll be our secret. Nobody needs to know. So I thought, yeah, thank you. Glad you're my friend. And thanks for esteeming me. I feel good all of a sudden. Well, remember, you're still a loser. (laughs) But you don't have to hurt other people. It'll just be between me and you. Nobody needs to know. Your church doesn't need to know. Your wife doesn't need to know. Cover your tracks. We'll lie. The issue with that is, my mother will tell you, is my whole life I told on myself. I just tell on myself. I found it was easier because my brother would use it against me. So it's just easier to say it's me. So I'm real good at going, it's me. So I'm coming down. I'm crying. It was pouring rain. I cried from Alabama back to Douglasville. And I came to see my parents. We went to Longhorn on Fairburn Road, and we're sitting in the booth. And my mother said we were so worried. Um, you wouldn't answer your phone. I said, Mom, I had my phone turned off, right? That's what you do when you're sinning. You you don't want anybody to get you that loves you. And and I said, you know, I'm okay, Mom. And Dad was across from me, and she said, as only a mother can do, are you telling me everything? (laughs) Like, only moms know this, right? (laughs) Ow, I don't like spirit-filled mothers. (laughs) So I said, no, ma'am. She said, there's more you want to tell me, right? yeah. She said, well, we'll do it at the house. (laughs) I'm I'm in my 40s, and my mother is like having a moment with me, and I'm like, yes, ma'am, I will be at your house. Because when mama's angry, you just do it. It doesn't matter how old you are. So I went to their house. I sat in their living room, and she said, well, would you like to tell us? And I said, well, mom, I said I committed adultery last I committed adultery last night and I looked in my earthly father's eyes and I just saw the utter you're a failure to me and it just crushed my soul that I had disappointed my earthly father I wish I felt that way about my heavenly father Like, I wish I would have felt I'm crushing him with this decision, but when I saw my dad's eyes look at me, and I had tried so hard to be a good man, and he looked at me with just this disappointment, and then he said, like only a father can do, it's okay, you need to repent, and you need to get out of ministry. You don't need to do this until God heals you. So, you all didn't know me then. You, you know me now. I was a broken, hurt. I destroyed my wife. I obliterated the trust of my children. I lost both churches. I resigned. I gave up the cars. I gave up the salary. I lost my health insurance. Ah. And within about three months, I'm living on food stamps because I have to walk in to the um, DFACs with my wife and I have to tell them I don't have... I don't even have enough money to buy food. So uh, I need some food stamps so I can feed my kids. (laughs) One decision... It just crushes everybody. Every friend, your integrity, your hope, your friends, your your character, your wife, your children, and you're this loser of a man, right? So I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. I mean, I just gotta move on. I'm gonna become a firefighter or whatever. I don't know, I'm never preaching again. I can tell you that I will never, ever preach again. Because this is what I told myself. Because it's weird, the devil never leaves you alone, right? Here's what I told myself, no, nobody's going to follow a loser. You're a loser. Nobody's ever going to listen to you again. So I want to give you the three things I did. They're not romantic, but I pray they help you. Look at this scripture in Genesis. I'll give you this one first because I want to ask you a question. I'll have to hurry. This is the scripture God gave me during that time. He made everything beautiful in its time. So I want to ask you a question. Do you believe God can make your mess beautiful? Yes or no? Do you believe that? I don't care how bad it is. Do you believe He can make everything beautiful? He can make your mess beautiful, your failure beautiful, your worst moment beautiful, your worst pain beautiful, the divorce He can make beautiful, the death of a loved one. He can, he can just make it all beautiful if you give Him enough time. So listen to this question for you. Do you believe God is granting you another opportunity to live your best life or do you want to keep making excuses? Here's the scripture because this we did not read in Genesis, but I put it there for you. And Adam had sexual relations with his wife again. And she gave birth to another son and this time named him Seth. Because she probably came to herself and said, God granted me another son in the place of Abel, whom Cain killed. Mama found hope. Mama could have said, don't you dare touch me. You traded me out. Don't you dare think I'm going to get in the sack with you. You stabbed me when I was hurting. Don't you dare think I'm going to have another kid. God's already killed two of them and he banished one of them. I'm not about to have a third kid and let God disappoint me again and let you stab me in the back again. I don't even want you coming in the tent with me. She could have said that. But according to Scripture, she didn't. She had sex with him again. That means she had to risk it. She has to risk getting hurt again, risk somebody killing Seth again. Risk that she's going to lose the joy of her life again. Risk that her husband might stab her in the back again. But something happened in this woman that took her worst pain, failure, disappointment, hurt and put one foot in front of the other and said, well, I think I'm going to give God one more opportunity here. And that's what I want to ask you today. Are you willing to give God another opportunity? Are you willing to let God prove himself strong? Are you willing to get over your hurt and your failure? Are you willing to quit making excuses? Are you willing to suck it up? Are you willing to pull your pants up and pull your belt tight and get busy doing what God called you to do? Or do you want to stay stuck in the hurt, stuck in the pain, stuck in the divorce, stuck in the addiction, stuck in all the excuses and the walls you built up? Because you're here today because this woman did this. Because Seth is the bloodline of Jesus Christ. If she doesn't go back in the tent, there's no Jesus. If there's no Jesus, there's no eternal life. You need to thank this woman. That in her hurt, she moved on. In her disappointment, she took a step forward. In her excuses, in her reasoning that she had, she pressed through because obviously, I don't know, but obviously y'all were on God's mind. And he needed to push this woman a little further. God's pushing you today. God's pushing you today. He's pushing you past the hurt. I got hurt by my preacher. Okay, good. Push past that. I don't know if I want to get involved here because the last church, good, push push past it. I don't know if I want to love again. Push past that. I don't know if I want to trust my husband. I mean, push past that moment. Push past the excuses. Push past the hurts. We all are hurt. But if we don't push past the hurt and take a step toward the better, then maybe there's going to be people in your future that it requires you to push past the hurt. Because God wants to use you as a testimony of His glorious grace. I stand here today, I don't know, I mean I don't ask because uh, so my personality sometimes doesn't even want to know. But I hope I help you here. I hope that by being in this church, sharing my heart with you, talking with you about the God I know, that in some weird way it makes you a better person. Because I had to learn if I'm going to do that, i got to push past that terrible, awful Problem in my life in that moment, and I just got to suck it up and I got to take a step because I believe there are people that need help. And so, God used my scar to help other people find hope. It's embarrassing to tell, but I'm willing to tell it. And so, now here's the weird thing you all get to enjoy the healed mark, but the Victoria Kate and the grand eye knew the messed up mark. <laughs> My mother-in-law is on the second row here. The conversation I had to have with her that her son-in-law failed her and her, her father-in-law and her son failed her daughter. There was a time where she didn't like me very much at all. I love you now. See? <laughs> she, she has loved me forever. But I told her, she said, you know, she was mad. I said, you have a right to be mad. But I'll never forget the day sitting in the parking lot in West Palm Beach, Florida, when my mother in law, <laughs> we just finished lunch. And she walked over to my car, the window was down, Robin was sitting by me, and she grabbed my cheeks like only a mama can do. She grabbed my cheeks, she said, I love you, son. You have no idea what it feels like to feel loved when you know you're a failure that's why I tell you every Sunday morning I love you I don't care if you failed I want you to hear somebody loves you I don't care what your crap is Mark Evans will love you I might wanna slap you but I love you (laughs) you don't bother me with your junk you don't bother me with your failure I'm good with it I'm a big boy I can handle it I've been there But I want you to know your love. Don't believe the lies. So here's what I did. If you believe God's giving you another opportunity, here's the first thing. Are you willing to make hard decisions to get better? Oh, they're going to be hard. Because I had to make a decision. Will I lie or will I say yes to getting help? Some of you are lying. You're telling yourself you're okay and you're not. You're telling yourself you can handle it, but you can't. You're telling yourself, i got a handle on this addiction, but you don't. It's mastering you. You're telling yourself, my marriage is okay, but it's not. You're flirting with other women. You're telling yourself, I will be all right, but you haven't had sex in year, month. You blame it on other things. You're secretly looking at things on your phone. You're having dark thoughts because you're not willing to do hard things to get better. It was a hard thing to say, I sinned, I need to resign my churches, I need to get help. It's hard to raise your hand and go, it's me. You need to do this or you're going to stay in a cycle of dysfunction your whole life. There's something healthy about raising your hand and go, I've been hurt A preacher hurt me, a husband hurt me, a wife hurt me, a kid hurt me, a boss hurt me, an uncle molested me. I've been abandoned by my parents. I've been abused. I've been used. I'm raising my hand to go, that's me. And I have lived these hurts and they become my excuses. They become my problems. They become my reasonings of life. And I have absolved myself to be them because it is what it is. That simply says I'm not strong enough to make the hard decision. To raise my hand and go, I have built up walls, I'm scared, I have failed, I've been failed, I've been hurt, and I have hurt. It's just your excuse now. Are you willing to just make a hard decision? To admit that I could get better if I made a choice to get better. I'm going to show you how terrible of a human I am. Because on my way to go do this dark deed, I pull over in Bremen and get a hotel room thinking, well, I could at least have a backup plan that that was my hotel room. The whole thing was a lie. To have to just tear that up and go, how dark was I? How? And this was a 42 day window. How dark did I get in 42 days? It's not, Ugh. But I had to make a decision, a hard decision to get better. Are you going to try to keep pastoring people, faking it? Or are you just going to admit you're a failure and go get better, go get healed? And so I had to walk to my churches and say, I have to resign, I'm done. The next one is this, it's not romantic. You have to humble yourself and do whatever it takes. Most people don't want to do this. I don't want to do whatever it takes. I want it to be easy. I want somebody else to do it for me. Just so you know, when you clapped and I said, well, I'm here preaching, you know that healed me, and y'all went, yay. The broken me sat in my mom and dad's basement in Douglasville for three months, healing up. Never going to preach again. Don't plan on preaching again with a mama going, you'll preach again. No, I won't. Yes, you will. Mother, never. Yes, you will. I will never tell that story to any human. One day you will. Mother. Mother, hush, you're a mom. I'm not. Three months. What most of you don't know, you get to see me on this nice little magical carpet, right? And talk about Jesus. But when I got up here, my dad, like only a dad can do to a failed son, said, well, you're not just going to sit in my basement, You're going to come to work at Believer's Church every day and I'm not paying you anything. (laughs) So for those of you that think I'm living on a lush salary right now, I started with nothing. So I showed up to work because I guess this is dad's disciplinary action to his son. So I'm living in his basement as a 40-something-year-old man. My wife is hurt. My kids are abandoned. I'm here. Robin won't let me come home because she made the hard decision. You will not come home till you get well. You have to go get better. And when you feel like you can do this, this, and this, you can come home. And I'm like, oh, so that was three months of living with my mother. Ugh. For three months. I can handle a day or two. Three months. That was pain enough, Right. So I get here to the church, and my dad says, well, I got a job for you. All right, Dad, lay it on me, man. I'm good, whatever you want. You want me to paint a wall or something? He says, nope. I got 20 years of financial records that I need you to get rid of. We need to clean the attic. It's taking up too much space. We only need to keep seven years, so I need you to get, I think it was 15 years. I need you to get rid of 15 years of financial records. Bots. My dad's a CPA. Every blooming receipt since Jesus was born. (laughs) Just... Fifteen years of, can you imagine a CPA with fifteen years of receipts? Climb up in the attic and bring them down. Okay. Box after box after, just boxes everywhere. I said, all right, Dad, because I'm smart. All right, Dad, I'm calling a company in Atlanta. They're going to come by and they're going to shred it. I think it's going to cost about three dollars or $400 to shred them. Whether those come out, they'll bring a machine, they'll shred it all right here. He said, no, you're not shredding them. I said, well, yeah, you want to shred your documents, Dad. I keep pay 300 bucks and shred them. he goes. No, I'm not shredding the documents I said well, why wouldn't you shred the documents? You don't want somebody to find them." He said they're not gonna find them." I said why he said cuz you're gonna burn them (laughs) I said why would I burn them cuz I want them burnt I Said you want them burnt. Let's just shred them. They can do it in an hour. I'm not shredding them You're gonna burn them. I think he called David Stone who's still here. Thank you, David for obeying dad. I called David Stone and I told him to bring a barrel out here so you could burn them. Appreciate that, David. So your pastor in February of 2011 sat out in a Carhartt coat, bundled up in freezing weather, burning 15 blooming years of papers. And what you don't know is paper doesn't burn in a barrel because there's no oxygen. It took me two weeks of just uh, I didn't even feel godly. And I know my dad meant it that way. I finally get them all burnt, and I have this epiphany. I don't want to do this the rest of my life. I need to repent. I like my other life a lot better. I like my wife better than my mother. My wife loves me. Right? You start changing. But are you willing to humble yourself? Are you willing to go live in a basement for three months because you're a broken person? Are you still binge watching Netflix trying to make the pain go away? Are you willing to do whatever it takes Because whatever it took as I came home and for a year, Robin and I went to professional counseling. We had to pay money. We had to drive an hour. I had to have some strange woman with a PhD tell me how broken I was. But I listened and I learned and I humbled myself and I found out what my problems were and my weaknesses. Because you get to hear the healed mark, but you didn't know the mark that had to drive an hour, two or three times a week to go to professional counseling to get healed because I was willing to do whatever it took. I was willing to get on food stamps to get healed, willing to burn trash to get healed, willing to look like an idiot to get healed, willing to go to counseling and pay money that I did not have to get healed. But my Lord, I don't want to live this way. I want to live the way you want me to live, God. So what does it take? What it takes, Mark, is a man must humble himself. And if you humble himself, I shall lift you up. And then what I realize, what I realize is most broken people just don't want to humble themselves. It's always somebody else's fault. It always costs too much money. It's always I don't have enough time. Well, I wish I had time, but I work too much. I don't have time for counseling. I don't have the money for counseling. I don't have the money for that. I mean, I halfway read a book on how to be a better husband, but I'm not a reader. I just don't read. You'll binge watch porn forever, but you can't read a book on how to be a better husband? What? What? You see, I'm really starting to find out that this one is the hardest because humbling ourselves to do whatever is really not what I'm after. I just want an easy life. I want God to take away the pain and I want to stay in my shell. I want to blame the pastors, I want to blame the husbands, I want to blame the wives, I want to blame the friends of how hurt I am and abused I am and abandoned I am. And now I live in my life's little bubble with just me and God and me and God just live in this bubble because I don't ever want to be hurt again, I don't ever want to risk it again, I don't ever want to use my life to help other people. Would you humble yourself today and do whatever it takes? I'm not a professional counselor, but I love to listen and help people. I do know professional counselors. I can send you to them to help you be better. But are you willing? And the final one is this Better is not a moment, it's a process. I'm not better today because it happened overnight. I'm better because I got up, I repented, I stayed humble, I went to counseling. I cried a lot, I read my Bible a lot, I surrounded myself with good men, I put myself around people that inspired me to be a better man, I date my wife all the time, I make sure I remind myself that she adores the ground I walk on, I adore the ground she walks on, I think she's good looking with short hair, it's cheaper for me. And now sits my daughter on the praise team. My daughters all serve the Lord. Their husband serves the Lord. Our dogs are spirit-filled. <laughs> Robin loves me. I love her. My mother-in-law's on the second row. She loves me. She said she does. She cooked me fink- chicken fingers for my birthday. <laughs> so I, I, I felt to share that with you. Where you can clap if you want. <laughs> I felt I want to leave you with this conclusion. Here's the conclusion don't let your scar be your excuse. Don't let your scar be your excuse. It will kill you and it will hurt other people. People here need to see you move forward. Admit you have a problem, go get help for that problem, let God be part of the process, and join the process. The mark you see today is 11 years removed from my worst failure. I've learned, I've grown, I've changed. I have great friends, and I've learned to just realize in my most failure, if you give God time, He can make it beautiful. Amen. And that's what I want to pray for you today. So let me pray. I'm going to ask the band to come up, and Josh will come. I realize I may have went a little long. Forgive me. But I hope it inspires you. Husbands, if you're here, you need to make a hard decision. Wives, a hard decision. Young people, a hard decision. Humble yourselves. Ask for help. Do whatever it takes. Whatever you need to do. Whatever you need to accomplish. Be willing to be humbled. you got to burn trash, burn trash. you got to go to counseling, go to counseling. Quit making excuses. Quit acting like you're okay when you're not okay. Now, Father, in Jesus' name, I ask that everything I shared today would bring hope. And the scar of my failure would hopefully bring hope to them. And I pray, Father, today that we all at least start the process to take that first step. And here's the first step. Do you believe it can be better? That's your first step. And if you do, make some hard decisions. Ask for help. Admit it. Raise your hand. Find a friend that will walk it out with you. And move forward and get beyond it. Would you stand? Let me pray for you.
1: Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there is anything that you need prayer for, please email us at... Amen at mybelieverschurch.com Be sure to check back next week for a brand new message.